the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. We've been reading in the fourth chapter of 1 Thessalonians, and last week we took a look at verse 1 and 2. And we see Paul encouraging the Thessalonians to continue to grow, to expand beyond where they were in their obedience through their relationship with the Lord. And as I pointed out many times, and I pointed out last week, Paul always affirms them in their relationship. He affirms them in who they are and the relationship they have with the Lord before he ever tells them to follow the instructions. And when he tells them to follow his instructions, he says, follow my instructions by virtue of our union in Christ. One is essential to the other. We will never, ever be able to be obedient apart from the miraculous work of the Spirit of God through a yielded mind, will, and emotion, through a yielded soul. Because obedience is not the work of man, it's the work of God. Well, read along with me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Furthermore, brethren, we beg and admonish you in virtue of our union with the Lord Jesus that you follow the instructions which you learn from us about how you ought to walk so as to please and gratify God, as indeed you are doing, and that you do so even more and more abundantly, attaining yet greater perfection in living this life. And I'll stop right there. Because what you see there is is Paul's urging them to even a greater perfection. Now listen, if you believe that this was the work of man, and if you believe that they got to this place through their ardent obedience and training themselves and working hard, if you're a Thessalonian and you've been doing everything you can do to keep up with all the do's and the don'ts, and Paul says, hey, you need to do even more. You need to get even better at it. You need to be perfect at it. What would you do? Well, I know what I would do. I would say, well, I'm sorry, brother, I'm not cut out for this. It took everything I had to get this far. I can't handle it. It would just completely collapse on me. But that wasn't the key. Why were they abounding? Why were they growing? 
They were growing because they had come to a place where they recognized that the only hope for them to live out the truth of the Christian life was to be yielded to the life within them. To be obedient by virtue of their union with Christ. And because it is the work of Christ, because it is the, the power of that union that literally makes obedience life for us, nurture for us, that makes these things happen, then Paul can say to them, look, you're enjoying this. God is working through you. You're seeing the results of yielding yourself to Him. You're seeing how God works through this. You know that you can literally have more of this. You can grow in this. Because Christ has put Himself in you. And this is what Jesus said. More things than I did, you will do. Well, I don't think they were discouraged at all. Continuing in verse 2, he says, For you know what charges and precepts we gave you on authority and by the inspiration of, of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, that you should be consecrated, separated, and set apart for pure and holy living, that you should abstain and shrink from all sexual vice, that each one of you should know how to possess, control, manage his own body in consecration, Purity separated from things profane and honor. Not to be used in the passion of lust like the heathen who are ignorant of the true God and have no knowledge of his will. You see, now Paul is giving them instruction. Paul says, we beg you, and as we said last week, that's a tender request, not a command. It's just as emphatic as a command. And he continues and says, And I admonish you, which speaks of a warning. It means that there are consequences involved. There are consequences for ignoring the instruction that I'm giving you. Okay? And consequences are the probable result achieved through choices. Consequences are the probable result achieved through choices. In the Christian's life, now I want you to hear me. In the Christian's life, consequences are not the judgment of God. Do you understand that? Because Jesus paid it all. There is now therefore no condemnation. It doesn't happen. God has wiped the slate clean through the finished work, life and death of Christ. Okay? So when we talk about consequences, I want you to understand that we're not talking about the judgment of God. Paul continues with, in Christ, or as the Amplified rightly interprets, by virtue of your union, or our union with Christ. Our union with Christ is our source of life, our context for living. I said this last week. It literally is our context for living. Our union with Christ is our place of balance and purity. And the spirit of that union must be invited into the soul, the mind, will, and emotion. The soul must be yielded in order for that obedience to take place. Because obedience is not doing. Obedience is literally being and acting in accordance to who you are. You see, it's not enough in an effort for me to be obedient to just say, I love you. That's not enough. Because in my heart, I'm thinking, frankly, I can't stand you. 
You see, obedience is something that comes from the very life of Christ. And it comes from our union with Him. And in union with Him, the truth of our heart is this. I love you. My emotions may not go along with it. My history may not prove it. My behavior may not always demonstrate it. But because I have Christ within, and because I'm in union with Christ and have the mind of Christ, the reality, the truth of my spiritual being is, I love you. That is obedience. It is reckoning upon the truth of your being, of who you are. So when Jesus calls the Pharisees to a higher level of of behavior, what He is saying to them is, you can't reach it because you haven't been born again. You cannot possibly achieve the standards of the law because the standards of the law can only be met through Me. And you don't have Me, nor will you receive Me. That is the truth of obedience. If we're ever going to know or be free from besetting sin, we have to yield to that spiritual union in the soul. In order to walk in the abundance in which the Christian was made for, we have to yield. In verse 2, Paul reminds the Thessalonians, he says, You know the charges are the instructions we gave you. We all know what is right, don't we? And the reality is that we have the Spirit of God within us. Now, where we have the Word of God, we need to seek the Word of God. We need to, and I say Word, I mean the Scriptures. We need to seek the Scriptures. And when we're looking through the Scriptures, we need to be looking for the capital W, the Word. The revelation of Christ. And in that, we are instructed. And here's the interesting thing. This is kind of an aside note. You have the Spirit of God within you. You have Christ within you. The Scripture says that you are complete in Christ. The reality is that that God says, I have written my law, my truth, my character, who I am upon your heart. The reality is that when you read Scripture and you walk in the truth and in the capital W, the Word, you are literally exposing what is already within you. Scripture does not write anything in you. It reveals what God has already written in you. So that's why we are to read it. Because we are on a journey to expand the revelation of what Christ has given us. That's what this life is all about. Here it says in verse 2, Paul reminds them, You know the charges we gave you. You know what is right. The Spirit will guide you. Our shepherd will guide you into truth if your heart is for truth. But knowing the command doesn't set you free, does it? Intimately knowing and following the truth is what gives you freedom. John 8.32 says, And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, we have not been set free by command, have we? Have you ever been set free by command? I haven't. I was set free by a person. I was set free by the person of Jesus Christ. He is the way to victory. He is the truth of every aspect of our living and He is our life. Now as we look at verse 3, Paul gives the Thessalonians some instructions. He says, For this is the will of God, that you should be consecrated, separated, and set apart for pure and holy living, that you should abstain and shrink from all sexual vice. 
And as I said before, the enemy has an ally in the body on this one. So it, it has become a huge trap for a lot of people. You can be defeated by indulging this natural desire, and you can be defeated by trying to deny it. In either case, when sex becomes the focus, you're defeated. Do you understand that? When sex becomes the focus, we are defeated. And as I've told you before, here's the reality. The enemy, for the enemy, sin is not the point of defeat. For the enemy, the point of defeat is when he takes your eyes off Jesus and puts it on something else. He begins to change your desires. He begins to change your appetites. Now you wouldn't think that these Christians would have to be told that to abstain from sexual vice was the will of God. But you kind of have to understand their history. Here's some notes concerning their society written by Barclay and others. Greek cities like Thessalonica were wide open to all kinds of sexual looseness, including immorality associated with their pagan idol worship. Pagan religions did not demand sexual purity of their devotees, and their so-called gods and goddesses were themselves grossly immoral. The sanctity of the marriage was so distorted that extramarital sex was actually considered to be an act of worship. It was to men and women who had come out of a society like that that Paul wrote this paragraph. What may seem to many the merest commonplace of Christian living was to them a startling new one. One thing Christianity did was to lay down a completely new code in regard to relationship of men and women. It is the champion of purity and the guardian of the home. This cannot be affirmed too plainly in our own day, which again has seen a pronounced shift in the standards of sexual behavior. Haven't we seen that? Aren't we seeing that? Can you imagine the challenge of living in a society and remaining pure? Of living in that society and remaining pure? In all probability, these new Christians had all manner of personal baggage in this area. Now, I want to talk about that. I said new Christians. I'm not talking about young people. This is a variety of ages from old to young of people that have been converted into Christ, but they have literally been raised in this kind of immorality. They have been acclimated to this kind of society. So can you imagine the amount of baggage that they might carry into their, into their Christian walk? Well, I would imagine there's quite a bit. But we have a big God, don't we? So I want you to see how important it was for these young Christians to keep their focus on Christ. Paul says God's will is that you be set apart, that is consecrated, separated, and set apart for pure and holy living, that you should abstain and shrink from all sexual vice. Now I thought as Christians we were already consecrated, set apart for holy living. I thought we were already righteous. 1 Corinthians one thirty says, But it is from him that you have your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom from God, revealed to us a knowledge of the divine plan of salvation previously hidden, manifested itself as our righteousness, thus making us upright and putting us in right standing with God and our consecration, making us pure and holy, and our redemption, providing our ransom and eternal penalty for sin. You see, Christian, we are righteous. We are holy. 
we are consecrated to the Lord. What verse 3 is telling us is that we are to abstain and shrink from participating in behavior that doesn't align itself with who we are. Don't act like who you're not. Don't act like what you're not. Act like who you are. You see, this is not about birth. It's about behavior. Christian, you are a new creation. And there is no sin more damaging to your true self-image than sexual sin. Because it attaches the natural desires of the body to immorality so that you have a hard time separating what is natural from what is perverse. It makes it difficult. It distorts the natural function of the body that is to be expressed in the context of marriage. It turns it into a self-indulgent pursuit to meet a need that only God can meet. This society is expecting things from sex that sex will never give. It does not give security. It does not give acceptance. It does not heal wounds. It is in fact a placebo, if anything else. It was meant to be a part of the intimacy between the union that God put together. Where a man experiences the love of God through a woman. Where a woman experiences the love of God through a man. And both are renewed. This intimacy is not about man and his function. It's about God and his love. That's what he has for us. Let's look at verses 4 and 5. That each one of you should know how to possess, control, manage his own body in consecration, purity, separated from things profane, and honor. Not to be used in the passion of lust like the heathen who are ignorant of the true God and have no knowledge of his will. You see, here's the reality. People don't avoid immorality by being strong. Do you recognize that? You probably won't hear that anywhere else, but that's the reality of it. People don't avoid immorality by being strong. They avoid it by recognizing that they are weak. We are to run from those things that would plant desire in us and stay far away from opportunity, no matter how resolute to behave we may be. When God led the Israelites out of Egypt, He took them the long way around the Philistines. Okay? He took them a long way around to avoid the Philistines. Now, in Exodus 13:17, it's recorded, When Pharaoh let the people go, God led them not by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was nearer. For God said, lest the people change their purpose when they see war and return to Egypt. You see, God had no confidence in the strength of the Israelites' faith. They needed to avoid this threat altogether in order to keep from running right back into bondage. See, God knew what they would do. And here's the thing. They weren't given an opportunity to vote on it. If they had, they would have made, might have made a different decision. But God didn't have any confidence in them. It, wasn't, it was not a convenient route. It made the trip longer, but it was the wisdom of God. There could have been many logical reasons presented as to why they should have taken the shorter route. 
You may have logical reasons for allowing certain practices or behavior, but in the end you're either living in captivity or you're flirting with it. In both cases, your focus is your desire. And, and how's that plan working for you? The question is, are you willing to admit that you're weak? Galatians 5.16 says, But I say, walk and live habitually in the Holy Spirit, responsive to and controlled and guided by the Spirit. Then you will certainly not gratify the cravings and desires of the flesh of the human nature without God. Some of you, I'm sure, like I believe many of the Thessalonians might have had, have baggage in your souls concerning this issue. You have history in it. And the last thing I want to do today is put your focus on that baggage. What I want to put your focus on is a better way. Uh, What I want you to turn your focus toward is Jesus, the Deliverer. You see, that baggage can collect, but it won't defeat because you are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Remember the story, what you focus on, what you give your focus to has you. You see, the enemy, when he works in this way, what he does is he'll first draw you into this kind of sin through the appetites of the body. And then, once you enter into it, he'll scar you. And once you're scarred, you will believe that the sin is now part of you. That it's something that you can't avoid. And then you'll enter into that cycle. That guilt cycle. You know what I'm talking about? You sin. You feel guilty. You resolve to do better, but your but your focus is on keeping from sin, and eventually you're drawn back in it. You sin, you feel guilty, and you try to do better, and you you resolve not to sin again, but you do, and then you sin, and then you feel guilty. You know the cycle I'm talking about. Has anybody else ridden that one besides me? I'm the marathon man. I rode that thing for years. And I still break it out every once in a while, dust it off, make sure it's working. But here's the reality of it. Jesus is a better way. He has a better way for you. Listen to what Paul said. Philippians 3.13 I do not consider, brethren, that I have captured and made it my own yet. But one thing I do, it is my one aspiration, forgetting what lies behind... And straining forward to what lies ahead. Repent. That means turn from your sin. And to turn from your sin, you change your focus. You forget what lies behind. You strain forward because it is a strain to believe when your flesh is crying out to you. When the, when the world is crying out to you. When your old habits and your history are crying out to you. You strain forward in the truth. You say, I will believe what God says about me. I will not enter back into bondage. I will walk in truth. You are my life. You are with me. Let's go forward together. I will not be held by the failures of the past. When I fall, I'm falling forward. I'm going forward in the Lord. might be time to leave some things behind or to avoid them. To stop thinking you're strong and to know that you're weak. You may be too weak to watch TV. You may be too weak to be alone with your girlfriend. You may be too weak to surf the internet. But isn't Jesus better than all of those things? 
You see, if you'll search within you, you'll find you have a greater appetite for him than any of those things. And those things have never met truth in you. They never have. They are a distraction at best. Maybe, maybe. Those are all maybes, but let me give you a certainty. John fifteen five. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever lives in me and I in him bears much abundant fruit. However, I give this to you all the time because I don't want you to forget it. However, apart from me, cut off from vital union with me, you can do nothing. Apart from participating or abiding in his life, you are already defeated. It's not about what you do. It's about where your focus is. And when you turn your focus from Him, when you turn your life away and begin to follow your own agenda, begin to seek your own way, begin to be your own provision, begin to think out through all how you're going to handle your life, when you begin to do that, you're already defeated. It's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time, and it's also a matter of choice as to how you and the enemy will choose to manifest it. Will it be through immorality, anger, depression, inferiority, pride, selfishness, you name it. It'll show itself. And here's the other thing. We have a lot of Christians who think they're strong and walk in self-righteousness until God allows them to fail, to fall. And then they grieve and start looking for a way to restore their righteousness. (laughs) I know, because I've been in that troop too. And you know what they say? I bet you've said this. Next time, I'll be stronger. No, next time, you'll fall harder. Thank you for joining Pastor Todd Granger for His Life Revealed, the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We hope today's message has encouraged you to yield to His life in every situation, rest in His life moment by moment, and receive from His life all that you need to show Christ in this world. If you'd like to know more, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. And you're invited to join us for worship services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 7015 Wurzbach Road. If you'd like to help support this ministry, send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006. And finally, this coming week, our hope is that the image of the invisible God would be visible in you. And remember, wherever you go, whatever you do, the hope of glory is Christ in you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.